Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Ben Rothenberg, and joining me today is my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Now, we saw a lot of each other in Australia, where... Probably a little too much. Probably a little too much, but (laughs) we uh, were there for... You were there for two and a half, three weeks, and I was there for... Or actually, you stayed after me. How was the rest of your time in Australia? Oh, it was great. Um, It was good. I just stayed in Melbourne and kind of actually got to see Melbourne in the light of day, other than just Melbourne Park. So that was quite good. And I I love the city. I I would go down there anytime I get a chance. So um, it was really fun. You don't get to... Being there at a tournament, you get to see the restaurants that are still open at 2.30 a.m. a lot. Which aren't a lot. Which are not a lot. (laughs) Although more than most places, I must say. You would have... More than than Mason. More than Mason, Ohio. That's correct. (laughs) Where... Every night is Applebee's, and you had to learn to love it. You had to learn to love it, and you had to be okay with sitting in the vicinity of, of players noshing on whatever was the Applebee's special of the day. <laughs> exactly, with their coaches. As you just seen them impress, you like drive <laughs> half an hour to the only restaurant open. And there you all again. Gang's all here. Uh, yeah. Good times. Mason has its own charm, so I guess. Oh, I, I love it. I mean, I don't want to. I, I don't want this to be taken as a rip on that uh, that city or that that uh, that tournament. It's fun. I, I like the Cincy tournament a lot. Absolutely. It's always one that I actually recommend to people going to if they have the geographic choice over the U.S. Open. I think it's just a much better sort of way to ease your way into tennis or whatever you do when you're watching it. Absolutely yeah. agree. Yeah, totally agree. So since uh, Australia, tennis never sleeps, obviously. We've had some stuff happen. Nothing too major, I don't think. But we're going to try to catch up on that, I guess. We've had some Fed Cups, some Davis Cups, some... uh, I don't know, there's tournaments going on this week in San Jose, the Middle East, and Rotterdam, and all-important Sao Paulo tournament in Brazil. So <laughs> the South American clay South American swing. Clay swing. <laughs> I actually kind of feel bad for South America for the most part. They don't have like a Masters event because they've produced so many players over the years. You feel like they should just get one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that actually the as much as I think I was making fun of it initially, but the uh, the ATP's deal with Rio uh, is quite a good. I mean, I think that that's a great that's a great kind of partnership. I think that it's it's good to kind of obviously it's a huge market to tap into. To the extent you can, it's just kind of a, a pretty difficult and uh, at times unstable market to, to kind of try and bring major sporting events to. But, um, you know, baby steps. Absolutely. Baby steps. And there's just been no Brazilian real contender since Guga. So yep. that's tough for them. I, not that Thomas Bellucci doesn't do his best, but I don't think he's really packing him in the way he was. There's not quite a, uh, a Lynn Sanity situation called... Uh, no. I don't know. Belucha crazy or something. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. Although that sounded sounded like John Buchagross, so I didn't really know where okay. you were going because I was like, is this, is this a hockey podcast I, I don't or know. what? Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get him on as a guest later once we actually figure out what we're <laughs> doing here. So yeah, so do you have any initial thoughts on what your main takeaway from the weeks of Fed or Davis Cup is? Obviously, I guess we can start with the U.S. and Switzerland. 
the U.S. Switzerland is was was big, and and I think that it was big for you know obviously there there's just the basic reasons, which is it's one of the biggest uh, you know away upsets that the U.S. Davis Cup team has ever had. The, the way that they did it so emphatically, so you know I mean five and zero. Even uh, if those last two mean nothing, like keeping the Swiss off the board is impressive. Yeah, exactly, and um and just the way that they did it, you know I mean um it seemed like in every of of the live rubbers, um, you know, they, they flipped the script. Everything that you thought was supposed to happen didn't happen. You know, Marty didn't get tight at the end, or he did, but he And he also was playing someone who got um, sufficiently tight alongside him. Exactly, so that helped. Um, Vavrinka definitely, you know, helped him out. Um, and then Isner with, with Fed, you know, for John to step up the way that he did and really just, like, take the match from Federer. Um, was solid, and then you know the doubles, you know, to 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 knock off the 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 uh, the doubles gold medalists um, and leave the Swiss team in snipey disarray was was quite surprising. It was, and I don't think there was much sign of it from the Swiss coming into this tie because while well, Rinka, I want to say, made the fourth round in Australia, and because he beat Bagdadis in the third, so I think he must have made the fourth. And after, I guess that Lions woman propelled him onto that win. <laughs> and then uh, and then Federer made the semis and didn't play great in that semi by any stretch, but still looked good up until that point. And so there was no reason to think the U.S. should win this tie. I don't think. And then clay. On clay. Yeah, on the road. On, on the indoor road, yeah. clay, which is notoriously bad. And I don't, I don't, I hadn't thought before this that bad clay would help the Americans somehow, but at least for Isner versus Federer, it clearly did. Oh, yeah, that ball was just bouncing in ways that just didn't make sense. Not at all. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I think I read somewhere that it was kind of interesting that they were saying that because, you know, they, they wanted to play on clay, but because obviously they can't do outdoors because of the weather, that there were only a few places that they could have held this tie mm-hmm. that had indoor clay and and Freib- was it Freiburg or Fri- Freiburg? Freiburg, yeah. That's how- yeah, that's how they pronounce it. Um, if you say Freiburg, then you're going to end up in Germany, right. not Switzerland. Um, but Freiburg um, was the one that they chose, and even though it was up in altitude, which obviously affected the the, the balls as well, um, they kind of had no choice. At least that's what the Swiss were saying. They were basically saying, like, look, like this was our this was our lot. We had no choice. This is where we had to have it, and. Uh, which I found to be, I couldn't tell, you know, if that was just posturing after the fact. Like, oh, the you know, it's a very kind of European sports culture thing where it's like, oh, the universe conspired against us and we, you know, we did the best that we could. Or if it was actually true that that, that was really the only place that they could have had it, um, which then makes you wonder, why didn't you just take, you know, hard courts? Right. Especially because it's not- Federer is not exactly a bad hardcore player. And I think right. this ma- and- I think this tie especially will sort of dispel some myths or not they weren't myths some you know previously long held beliefs about the u.s having clays or kryptonite and all right i mean it never it never should have been that way i mean the only reason that clay is their kryptonite i think isner said this after his win is that they just don't play on it right so it's not that there's something inherently like we step on clay and we fall down It's just, it's just that that we don't play on it all the time, so obviously it's our weakest surface in that respect. But then you know we don't play on grass all the time either. Right. So you know, but but there isn't that you know kind of myth about grass with Americans. So obviously, I mean, results bear it out, but because um, obviously we we aren't great on clay results wise. But in the same way that like the the players that have, if you look on the women's sides, the women who have played really well on clay generally 
have been tall, big hitters right. who, you know, the ball sits up. It gives them some time for their ground strokes. I mean, and, you know, there's no reason why that shouldn't translate over to the guys. And I think that that's exactly what happened with Isner is that the ball was sitting up just perfectly for yeah, him. Isner played almost They're, Ivanovich 08 clay tennis. I didn't want to say it because I think people would have thought that I was just trying <laughs> to bring Anna up, but that's exactly what I was what yeah. I was kind of I had in mind was that you know it was very similar to kind of what Anna did in 08. It's, it's just you know sometimes all you need is that split second extra or that one sem- centimeter for the ball to sit up, and that changes everything. I think a lot of the American clay lack of mystique comes from a few specific people. Like not all American tennis players are created equal, obviously. Right. What? Well, I, I know. I, there, there, there seems like there's an assembly line for some countries, but probably not America. Um, but Sampras was obviously, is by far his worst surface was clay. Roddick is by far worse as clay. Um, William's sisters, both their worst are clay. But the rest of them, I mean, Courier won two French Opens, Agassi won a French Open, Chang, Capriati, Serena did win one. I mean, they have. There have been people who have had good results on clay, and Wayne Odesnik, American star, his best service by far is clay. He goes down and plays uh, challengers in Colombia on clay when everyone else is like in America. Although maybe that's just because that's where he feels more popular. I don't know. But uh-huh. I'm I'm keeping my mouth silent on the Odesnik reference. Wise, wise. Um, but yeah, so I think that maybe that sort of American not being able to do anything on clay is sort of hope maybe hopefully for American tennis becoming a thing of the past. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it's psychological, right? I mean, didn't query have that like two years ago, he went and he won like a, yeah. I mean, it's, so it's not, it's, it, I, I think that a lot of it is psychological. I think that a lot of it is like, well, I just don't play well here. And I think that with Roddick um, being kind of the, the alpha guy, the number one for so long, I think that that, mentality maybe trickled down a little bit more or got more traction than it should have. Right. You know, when Andy Roddick is, is kind of basically playing the minimum number of tournaments and basically skipping clay. And skipping the French um, occasionally even too. Not just, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. You know, like that, you know, when you have younger players coming up, then there becomes this idea of like maybe, yeah, like that's what Andy does. So that's, you know, yeah, we shouldn't take clay particularly seriously, but you know, you're starting to see you're starting to see a change there, and which is good. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it could have something to do with the homogenization arguments, but anyway. That is true. That is definitely true. And let's see, other Davis Cup action worth noting in this weekend. Um, Great Britain. Great Britain and Davis Cup. Oh yeah, with, with Dano. With Dano, I didn't really follow. All the British media was, of course. So I feel like I felt like, as you say sometimes, I felt like that coverage was more than sufficient already, and I could sort of ignore it. Fair point. Because I did. I mean, it's a like a world group. I don't even know what group Great Britain is in at this point. I guess they're in two, or they're fighting to get into two. They're fighting to get into two. So they, they were basically. My understanding is they were kind of in the same position as the girls. Okay. In Fed Cup, so essentially, kind of a zonal uh, type thing. You win, and then you get a playoff into two. Okay. I guess. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, I think the British results are hard to ignore, especially if you're on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because all of Britain is on Twitter, so it just kind of floods your timeline, and, and you have to kind of, you do have to t- step back and be like, uh, wait, what just happened? Not really a whole lot. Yeah. They, oh, <laughs> um, it's a group two tie, and it was not like Wimbledon. Yeah. 
the coverage was similar. Right. I think that's just what we get, you know, being obviously Americans who speak English, the other country that we mostly tap into because there's so much of their media for tennis is Great Britain. So I think sometimes the importance to British tennis gets overinflated to what it actually probably should be for us. I think that's right. But uh, still, you know, good for them. Although I mostly think that's just a terrible loss for Slovakia. I don't. Yeah, they, you they have tweeted like, that, and I agree. They have like I, I, a two top hundred players. I don't know if Klezan is top hundred right now, but he's at least close to it. And he was in that Challenger Tour final thing last year. I know mm-hmm. in Brazil, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, he was a good prodigy at one point. I remember seeing him get a wild card when he was like sixteen into Leg Mason. It must have been his agent or something got him that. I don't know how he was considered a <laughs> local prospect at any point, but. Yeah, him and him and Lachko should have definitely walked that thing. So, yeah. Anyway, good for the Brits, and they have yet another home tie. They've had an incredible streak of home ties too. The day. Yeah, Brayhead Arena is just because. I mean, they just fly the flag well there. Okay. I mean, good for them. You know, I mean, it's. Uh, I think the one argument that I will make about about giving the British results a little bit more play than maybe one would if it was, you know. Uh, like a like Colombia or something is that you know the amount of traction and, and the amount that the British people want to I don't know if they want to but but they're willing to get invested in tennis oh yeah in a way that 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 you don't really see in some of the maybe other countries so it's just kind of nice to just see you know after Fed Cup you know like Judy Murray doing the rounds you know uh, the talk show oh, rounds yeah. and things like that that's just good for tennis Absolutely. and and especially when you're talking about uh, you know English speaking media and those English you know articles and press snippets going all over the world I mean it's just it's just good so Go, going um, back to the this buzzword of the week I mean Britain is the most ripe sports culture for our Lynn Sanity situation. Oh my gosh. In terms so of tennis. Stuff. Like the reason there are a couple of reasons why Lynn Sanity is a much bigger deal than it would be, you know, under normal circumstances. And a huge part of that is being in New York. Like mm-hmm. because New York has been without any sort of basketball prospects for a very long time. And much not as not quite as long as Fred Perry or anything, but you know, still a while. Although not mm-hmm. that Andy Murray's not a wonderful prospect. But England is still has the complete coverage. I mean, you see how many people that send to the press room yep. to cover like all the same person, and then they still wind up giving you know Laura Robson or whoever else is there a ton of coverage <laughs> as well, just because they're there. And that's what Laura says. Laura said something like, "Oh, you know, I think they're here for Andy, but it's nice they show up for me too at press conferences." Yep. And so if they get someone else to sort of divide their efforts, <clears> everybody <throat> will get a ton, a ton of coverage. So I think definitely for the good of the game on a national level. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the thing is it on an international level. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing about it is that, you know, they 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 have the bullhorns, mm-hmm. I guess, when it comes to to kind of tennis, uh, international tennis coverage, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, because um, the way the BBC or whatever Commonwealthy media is set up, mm-hmm. you know, they have their voices heard in India and Australia and all these places around the world that Americans might yeah. not be as much. Yep. So, so it's a good thing, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. So it's other Davis Cup. Uh, let's see, France beat. I can. I should probably just pull up results or something. But France beat Canada. Yeah, uh, yeah nothing else. It, everything think. else went went according to plan. Russia managed to lose to Austria, which I think is says a lot about how how sort of unwritten the story is about how awful Russian men's tennis has become. Yep, and Bago lost his two his two rubbers there. Yeah. 
So they'll be trying to find the receipt on that purchase. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. And then, no take backs. No take backs. Uh, then Fed Cup was a week before, not going mm-hmm. chronological order. And I was in Worcester, which was a lot of fun, actually, even if uh, Vika didn't play. I was so. going to say, how do you how do you feel about being stood up by Vika? You know, it was it was surpri- it was a little annoying, honestly. But I understand that she, you know, I don't know. I I I, I understand why she might not want to play. Or it's very common for someone to win a Grand Slam, and then pull out their next tournament to rest. That happens all the time. Yep. So she didn't do that, but she did it like the morning of. So it's just there was no sign that it was going to happen going in. Like she was warming up. Mary Jo Fernandez said she saw Vika warming up and like on the bike that morning. Mm-hmm. And like had no inclination whatsoever that she was going to be pulling out. So, but it did give it did give me more chance to focus on Christina McHale, who was almost dropping double bagels on Belarusians twice. So that was kind of that's right. That was kind of fun. The Belarusian killer. She is she is moving up there pretty fast. She's, I think she's in the quarters as we record yes. this of Doha, about to play Aga Radwanska. Yes. And handed her her worst loss at like right. ever. That's a bad matchup for her. I mean, yeah. her game. I don't. I don't. When I see her play, I don't. I don't see anything that immediately makes me understand why she's ranked as high as she is or why she's climbing as fast as she is. Yeah. But she wins, and that's what it's about. A lot of times. Yeah. No. I mean, that's you know. I mean, that's the thing that I have been impressed with with her. I feel the same way. I think you and I have talked about it before that there isn't anything that really stands out when you watch Mikhail play. But you know, she beats the players that she's supposed to beat. And she kind of goes, you know, better than 50-50 on the players that are right around the same rank as her. And then every once in a while, she pulls off a pretty solid upset. Right. Um, So, you know, nobody's ever going to say Christina McHale's the next, you know, big thing. But she's she's carving out a really solid career for herself. She could be a solid top 20-er for a long time. Yeah, and she's only 19. I mean, that's a thing, too. So, um, you know, it's good. Yeah, and also she seemed, as people who've read her transcripts or... Ben in her interviews would know. She doesn't always say the most stuff, to say the least, in her press, but she did seem to come out of her shell a good deal in Worcester. Oh, Being right. around Serena, I think, just sort of loosened her up. But Serena was constantly trying to get her to laugh. I think she saw that as her personal challenge for the weekend. Once Vika, That's once, good to once hear. Vika pulled out, the new challenge was... <laughs> so, I, th- I, I think that the, the latter is much more difficult than I, the former for Serena. <laughs> it definitely seems like it sometimes from where we sit. But yeah, she was. Yeah. But, but Christina was definitely in a good place, and her tennis is moving really well. So she'll be seated at the French almost certainly. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna pull up the rankings really quickly and take a look because I'm kind of wondering who the highest ranked player is. Who, when I see them play, I don't really know how they went, how they're that ranked that high, but mm-hmm. they just kind of do. Like you know, like they don't have an like an out weirdly obvious weapon or something. Well, segueing to a, another story of the month, you can look at somebody <laughs> inside the top five who gets a lot of criticism for that, if you know who we're talking about. Formerly higher than top five. Yes, yeah. yes, so. yes. But no, but here's the thing about Caroline Wozniacki, is that I under, I absolutely understand oh, yeah. how she wins matches. There's no question as to how she wins them. Yeah. Um, it's just that I think generally, I, I mean, at least I can speak for myself, and I think I can speak for, for a good number of tennis fans, that we just don't respect, that might be too strong of a word, but um, you just don't like that that's how she wins the match. It's not a pleasing style of winning to watch. 
Exactly. I've said that I, <clears throat> nothing against her personally, but I always want my, find myself enjoying watching her. I don't, Caroline Wozniacki blowout win is almost always a very unwatchable match. Because it usually means the other player just is not finding the court. Or that, you know, she's making them hit enough balls. The points aren't ending on winners. But if it's mm-hmm. a close match or one where Wozniacki's losing, usually it means that at least the other opponent is playing pretty well. And Caroline, I don't know if she has that much. She's very consistent. I don't know if she has that much variation in her level, honestly. Yeah. A lot, well, of it, well, a lot of it is not in her own hands, which I think is part of what frustrates tennis fans. Even if she sets the bar pretty high for what you have to do to beat her sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that her ability to compete is is really second to none. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I think that she's right up there and is just a hearty of a competitor as, you know, the Sharapovas and the Williamses and and um, you know that sounds like a shocking thing to say, but she 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 may not grunt and grit her teeth the way that that you know outward showing that like she's physically grabbing this match, but. Right. You just can't shake her. No, not she's at all. Like, she's like that, the, you know, a kid is just like grabbed onto your leg and you cannot shake her off as you're trying to walk off the court, you know? And, you know, you got to respect that because especially with the WTA in this age where, you know, if you're a WTA fan, you spend a lot of time kind of, you know, laughing and um, making fun of head cases and, oh, here this person goes again. She's going to collapse. Oh, just like clockwork, you know? Yeah. Um, you don't feel that with Wozniacki. And, and, you know, you have to you have to respect that. And I do. I mean, I, I really, really do. Absolutely. When you see her in person, you really understand how much of it the athleticism is. You know, mm-hmm. she comes off as someone whose her personality is very, you know, girly or feminine. She has these big frilly dresses she wears and stuff. But she's just like a backyard brawler on the yeah, court when she actually is. gets out there. And it's it's it can be impressive to watch her move and to see her just sort of grind people down. Even someone like her match against... Uh, Yelena Yankovic at the Australian Open, where that's mm-hmm. another player who's defensive and steady, and just Caroline is doing it so much better. And, and, yeah. and Yankovic obviously has much more of a shot-making upside than Caroline chooses mm-hmm. to have most of the time, because she could yeah. do more with it, and she chooses not to. Or, seen, she chooses the, or she chooses the wrong time to. Right. I've seen her, that match she played against when they were 1-2 and two in the world, and neither of them were up there, against Petra Kvitova in... Uh, Hopman Cup, she was really picking her spots and going for it and passing shots and a couple return winners. It was it was weird. But. Do you think that, I mean, I know that because you and I have obviously talked offline quite a bit mm-hmm. about a lot of this stuff. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, and, and you have repeatedly kind of cited that match at Hopman Cup between Waz and Petra as being an, an instance where maybe you kind of believed that, 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 that there was a new was like a was 2.0 oh, yeah. was going to be debuting relatively soon that was when that... she had been working with ricardo sanchez for a few weeks at that point and yeah. it looked like that match was and she hadn't been that way earlier in the week against uh she played Parankova and she played bethany maddox sands and she was not you know playing her method of you know base of just retrieving or keeping balls in play and make grind the other opponent down and uh but against Petra, she seemed to know that she had to do more than that. And I think that that was the thing, is that it. she knew. Yeah. She, I mean, she, there's, uh, against most of the other women on the tour, I think that even if people are telling her to be aggressive, even if Ricardo Sanchez is in her ear screaming, you know, hit the ball, hit the ball, hit the ball, she also knows, based off of history, right. that nine times out of ten, she can beat any of these people playing her game. As we've said, she doesn't moonball because it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Right. It's a, win- it's a winning strategy. Because it, 
it's a winning, it has worked and it's not pretty, but it works. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and it's legal. So it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's not like she's, you know, eye gouging or something like that, but it's kind of the equivalent. Like, well, you know, if you were talking, taking the backyard or the back alley brawler, uh, metaphor, it's like, I can't think of what move I would, I would maybe like a headbutt or something like where it's like, it's not kind of cool, but it is legal, yeah. but it's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's not biting or anything. Yeah. It's, it's not biting, but, um, but anyways, that, that I think that against a Petra against maybe Serena, um, you know, those are the two players that she knows for a fact, she cannot beat playing the way that she does. Right. So she's, she is willing to throw caution to the wind and play like a different game. Although she didn't against, I mean, in the past, she's she's tried to kind of play the bunker style against Serena, and it's never worked. But um, I interviewed her in Perth also and asked her pretty much that question. It was after the Petra match, so I'd seen her it was, do that. And I said, when, how do you decide when to be aggressive and actually, you know, really try to go for shots and when to stay back and grind it out? And she said that it was, you know, largely just based on her confidence level that day or how comfortable she was feeling. I don't mm. think a lot of, and I've heard Nadal say similar things. I yeah. think a lot of people realize the direct correlation between confidence and comfort and aggression. It always mm-hmm. saying when he doesn't feel comfortable on the court, he will stay back and just mm-hmm. hit, you know. Nadal does have matches where he winds up with single-digit winner counts that he wins. Mm-hmm. And it's just all about that. You don't want to be someone like, I don't know, a Rezai who's completely off the rails and still trying to spray everything as hard as they can. Right. I mean, I mean the thing is, is that Rafa, you take Rafa as a perfect example of kind of what was, I mean, obviously it's it's not a perfect comparison, but what she needs to be or, or what Kim can do. Right. Basically, which is, yeah, I mean, they can defend and they can probably defend their ways to wins, but, you know, that's that should be your plan B. That shouldn't be your plan A because across a, a year long season and, you know, especially at slams where you got to win seven matches in two weeks, you know, you don't have the benefit of like time or energy to be spending two and a half hours out there running, chasing down a ball against, you know, Dominica Sabukova. Agreed. You know, I mean, like you should be taking that match in your own hands and getting on and off the court as quickly as possible. And, you know, everybody's kind of stopped to think about you know, why can't Caroline win a slam or, or whatever? And obviously she's been close. She's been to the finals. She's made semis a couple of times. But, um, you know, and you and I have our theories about on-court coaching mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that defensive style of game as opposed to having an offensive style of game. But, you know, it's it's never one thing. It's all of those things combined. And um, she, I don't know. I, I wrote about it this week for SI. I just this whole move of going back to her dad and, and, you know, going back to playing a defensive game and waiting for the other person to get to, to make mistakes. And Lucy Safarova didn't make those mistakes this week. I mean, she made a lot of mistakes, but she didn't make those mistakes. Right. Um, you know, basically hit her off the court. You know, it's, 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 she's reverting. It's not even Caroline of 2010. This is like Caroline of 2009, yeah. like early. And no, know, it's, it's, it's disappointing. They didn't give it a longer shot. I would say with Sanchez, I think you could, and that's probably fair to say, but mm-hmm. because there were in that one match that I keep citing, there were, you know, signs that things were going in the right direction. And I think maybe she has a lot of points to defend coming up. She has, she won Indian Wells, she won Dubai, I believe. Mm-hmm. So she could actually be outside the top eight by the French. Did she make semis of Miami? 
uh, quarters, I want to say. She lost to Pecco. I'm trying to remember what round. Either fourth or quarters. Not okay. It wasn't semis, I don't think. Because Pecco didn't make the final. So, right. yeah, okay, yeah, sure. quarters, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, so she has, I mean, and maybe it's one of those things where she could, you know, keep falling a little bit to realize that something might need to be fixed. It's it's weird, though, because, like, at the end of, or when she was, when she just brought on Sanchez, but maybe you were, this might have been at Perth then, so maybe you heard this, okay. but she said that, you know, obviously winning a Grand Slam is, is a priority, and if that means that I had to lose a little bit more in order to improve my game, mm. I'm okay with that. And I remember seeing that quote and be like, oh, okay, I'm waiting until to see this actually happen. Like, if you're losing matches, but you're playing a like a different game style, I will have nothing but respect for that. But if this is just talk to get people off your back, or, you know, it's just talk that, you know, when, when things get really close and she's about to lose, she reverts back into her style right. and doesn't want to risk the loss, which I think is what's happened. Um, but it was an interesting set of quotes, and I, maybe I have to go back and find it, but it was... Um, it was surprising to hear her say. And right. I just remember at the time hearing it and thinking, well, that's positive. That's exactly what I would want to hear from her, which is <clears throat> I've made number one. So this is now on my resume. That's done. Next step, win a slam. And I recognize what I need to do to win that slam is to improve my game in the following ways. And that those ways will add more risk to my game, which means that I risk losing more, right. which means I risk losing the top ranking. And I'm okay with that. Right. Agreed. And you can't play, especially now that she doesn't have the top ranking, you can't play to keep the ranking. Yeah. And I think that uh, Dinara Safina, Safina has said things along those lines, that she mm -hmm. was playing a style just to stay, or playing a schedule, maybe more than a style, mm -hmm. just to keep her there, playing Portoros and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know is probably a very happy time for you, Dinara oh, Portoros. <laughs> the Portoros. Remember the Portoros is gone no. now. It is. Yeah. It is. Those were the days when Dinara would sit on a boat <laughs> and speed through the water like she was in a jay-z video oh, it was great good times good times. anyway anyway so let's see um that was a bit of a was tangent it was we, didn't, we, were, <laughs> we were planning was but it's, no we have plenty to say on her for sure mm -hmm. uh other stuff from Fed, other international fed cup results there were a lot of um a lot of interesting themed outfits sure. which i didn't remember being as big a thing previous years but there were a lot of those when you put JJ on on a design team, you will automatically get some some interesting stuff. I mean, I think that um, results wise, I think that that Serbia's win was huge. Obviously, yeah, without without um, Anna and without JJ for most of it. Right, right. Um, that was pretty big. Um, I think that that the way the Czechs beat Germany mm -hmm. was kind of basically taking the German heart and ripping it from their chest. I mean, that was just like a really rough tie for the Germans um, to, to basically be, I think they were a set up in each one of their match, or at least Lisicki was a set up in both of her matches and lost. Right. And then I think Gerges battled back against Petra to take the second set. That was the one, that, then, was the one that was like 10, eight in the, yeah, yeah. And just, you know, dug in and tried and tried and tried and, and eventually, you know, came up short. I was and thinking I think about that, that match because Petra is not someone who, I think even though people tennis has a lot of respect for her game <clears throat> and for her mental sort of toughness, I don't we don't see her as someone who pulls out a lot of deep in the third wins because she doesn't play that many close matches, I don't think. She no, kind of, true. When, I mean, she, when she wins, she kinda of steamrolls. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a pretty impressive impressive sort of 
telling win for her, possibly. A telling win, and then on top of that, like, she doesn't play two tournaments afterwards. I mean, so, ostensibly, like, you kind of feel like maybe she might have been a little hurt yeah. at Ed Cup or something like that, but... It did, yeah, it I mean, didn't it defend her Paris title, didn't defend her Brisbane title earlier in the year. So the shot that she had at uh, taking number one is, for the short run, kind of gone. Yeah. 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 Even when we were when it was in when we were in Hopman Cup, it was seen as inevitable that she would take it. Like it would just be like, yeah. "So are you ready to be number one, Petra?" And she was just like, "Well, I'll see when I get there." With the implication being, "I'm gonna get there." But yeah, now it's- I mean, she always kind of had that look. You know, when people would ask her about being number one at the uh, in Melbourne, right. she'd kind of have this sly smile, and she would kind of basically refuse to answer the question and just say, "You know, you can ask me what you know if or when." I get there, yeah. but I'm not there, so I don't know how. Basically, like I don't know how I'm gonna feel. I don't know what it feels like. You can ask me when I have it, right. like you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, even at the start of, of the the Aussie Open, it was kind of a foregone conclusion. I think, at least among most people, that she would be the number one. But um, yeah, I, mean, I I I actually kind of like how she's handling it. I agree. I like that she doesn't feel the pressure to defend what she did last year, that she was like, nah, I'm going to go play Hopman instead of Brisbane. You know, um, I'm going to, you know, skip Paris. I mean, she, she skipped Paris before she even knew that she might have an Achilles injury. Right. So she just had noticed no, she felt no compulsion to defend those points. And then maybe she thought she'd pick them up in Doha and now she's not playing Doha, but um, I don't know. Is I think still, that she's she still had, off for Dubai last we heard. I think she, yeah, she's okay. still on the sketch, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I like that she, she's not acting like she's not doing. She's career. not doing what Denard is. She's not showing up to Porto Rose because she feels like she needs the points, right? Or even what Caroline did, or or you know, a bunch of players have done before, which is like you almost feel like they're playing, they're scheduling with a sense of urgency, like. Oh my God, I'm playing so well right now. I have to capitalize on it right, right now right. because who knows if this is going to keep going. Yeah. And Petra almost has this air about her of like, yeah, so this will keep going for a while. Why rush it now? That's like, yeah, that's perfectly put. Yeah, and and there's kind of that weird swagger about it, even when I mean, we're talking about scheduling. But it feels like swagger, swagger like scheduling. swagger scheduling. I like that. Yeah, swagger scheduling. Like it's cool. Like you guys can take those points. I'll pick up my points elsewhere. <laughs> it's a sort of Serena approach to it, almost to a, to a lesser degree. Well, yeah, yeah. In yeah. terms of being the empress of swagger scheduling, I think that's indisputably Serena. Indisputably so. Okay, so what we're doing here is taking a number between 1 and 100. Is it, what was the name you had for this? Like, pick, take a number? Pick, take a number. Okay, there you go. And so we're going to go to random number generator and pick a number between 1 and 100. And then we're going to see who comes up, who, who correlates with that number on the ATP and WTA rankings. And then just talk about that person for a while. <laughs> and hopefully we know who they are. Because oh, I, I, I did a test run yesterday for it, and I got 86. And the w- woman who came up was was Tammy Tanisugarn. Perfect, we could do that. Yay! The man who came up was Flavio Chipola, who I would have absolutely nothing to say about. So his last his last name means onion. It does he's actually right now. <laughs> now I'm kind of now I'm kind of wishing we had talked about him. Maybe we'll get an A6 again because do you know that Horatio Zabios also means onion? Is that right? Oh yeah. Interesting. So there's a, See, there's... these are the these are the little facts that are like in Ben's brain that crack <laughs> me up because when you're when it's late at night and you're a little punchy, these facts become even more 
impressive Profound. and at the same time annoying <laughs> <laughs> that you start throwing like paper clips across the room. Oh yes. Um, but uh, but yeah. Okay, this you ready? is what this is what this podcast will give you. Go ahead, Here's fire away. Number fifty-five. <clears throat> it's our number. So you want to pull up WTA rankings, and I'll pull up sure. WTA. Oh, 55, solid on the WTA side. Okay, hold on, let me get, let me get this ATP. All right, so who do we have for WTA, Courtney? We have one Carla Suarez Navarro. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a really good pick, actually. And okay. for the men, Yvonne Dodig. Okay. Okay, I can work with that. I can work with that. So let's start with Carla, though. Okay. Carla um, had a pretty decent Australian Open, actually. Very decent. She made, was it the third round, or? Um, for, yeah, it was third round. She lost to Ivanovic, right? Oh, she lost to Petra. Oh, she lost to Petra, that's right. Petra. Maybe it was second round. I'm not sure. But she made a couple, she won at least one match. And she gave, and she pushed Petra to, like, she was up in the third, I want to say, against Petra. She was. She was a, she was a break up in the third set. Um, it was 2-1. And I think she had, bre- uh, she had break points to, um... Yeah, she had break points to go up to three one, okay. or something. But she was definitely a breakup. And Pet and she just she is a really pretty to watch game. I don't know how much people actually watch her. I don't watch her that much either, honestly. But she has a really nice one handed backhand, and you know is pretty mentally strong for the most part. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, she competes well. Nice player. She's just, yeah, she's just uh, you know she's undersized, so that's there's always going to be that. But I think one of the I mean some of the most like fun tennis that I that I watched when I was in Melbourne mm-hmm. was was that Kvitova match and it, and it was that was a second round match by the way um and uh but just watching her go one-handed backhand a Petra's lefty forehand cross court right. was like they would just go into these like five or six stroke exchanges cross court back and forth and it was just the coolest thing ever oh, I mean it just it, you felt like you were watching like you know, a unicorn dancing on a rainbow. You like, you're like, you, like, because you're just not going to see that very often, right? You're not going to see a one-handed backhand on the WTA very often, A. Yeah. Uh, one that is as effective as, as hers was that day, mm-hmm. um, you know, that she can hit with, with pace and power um, against a, a, a big lefty forehand like Petra's. So um, it just felt like a very rare sight. Like, you were watching, you're like, oh, this is, like, really cool. Yeah. Like, I am enjoying this very much. So that was actually a really fun match to watch. That was a fun I, uh, match. Uh, uh, I think Suarez Navarro, I think, got kind of just ran out of gas at the end. But, I mean, it was still 6-4 in the third. She made Petra kick into a higher gear than Petra wanted to kick into in the first week. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, Petra, uh, Carla has made two Grand Slam quarterfinals in her yeah. lifetime. One at the 08 French, and she completely came out of nowhere and beat um, some people. I forget who. I want to say she beat Moresmo or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lost to JJ in the quarters. And then uh, she also made one in Australia the year after that, I think, where she beat Venus in the second round. That was the big one. That was the one where I kind of pay- started paying attention to her more yeah. than... Than maybe before was when she because it was a, it was a really just solid win. She's somebody who I could see doing something like what Skiavoni did at the French in 2010, mm-hmm. having a tournament where things just sort of come together for her because she ha- all the pieces are there, and yeah. she's more under the radar obviously than Skiavoni was before. She won her slam, but it, I mean, yeah. there is some there is some run left in her for sure, definitely. 
Yeah, I mean, there are times where you see, like, you know, Suarez Navarro just kind of looks like Schiavone on the court. Just, yeah. Just the way that she kind of moves and, um, Not a lot you know, of kind of yeah. ponytails on either. Yeah, no, no, a lot of short hair going on, but, but, uh, you know, she kind of has that jockish, uh, movement about mm-hmm. her, um, which is kind of cool. She just doesn't have the flair or the kind of verve that, or charisma that, yeah. that, um, Fran has, yeah. but uh, but I'm looking here at her. I just pulled up her 08 French results, and I didn't realize she was a qualifier that year. Oh wow, yeah, I forgot. So that. she was a qualifier who made it through three matches to qualify, and then made the quarterfinals. I knew I'd never heard of her before that, and I remember yeah. her doing pretty well. And actually, I was in a suicide pool at the time and picked her to beat. I want to say Casey Delacqua without looking at the draw, just because yeah. I didn't trust Casey well Delacqua to win that match. So straight set. Yes. Yeah, no, she uh, and you're right. She beat Moresmo. Okay. And then Panetta. Very nice. So it was a good run. But anyways, um, yeah, but she's just, you know, she's, I think that generally she's a liked, she's a very liked player on the tour. Okay. I mean, just from a fan perspective, I mean, she, she brings something different, so it's fun. People have nice things. We have good things to say about her. I mean. Exactly. There you go. Even if her that, her rankings, maybe, is she an underachiever? Possibly. With her, with her, all the nice things we said about her, she probably should be higher. And she's had some injury problems, 